HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network with me, Erica Wides, your host for the next 27 minutes. So, <clears throat> is, it, is it finally settled? Are we done? Can we stop talking about it and finally agree that the stupid dress that broke the internet was blue and black? Even though I totally saw it as gold and white... I'm still not convinced, but are we done? Can we just move on? I mean, it was it was almost like five days ago, okay? Which in internet time is like a decade. It's like from the 90s. I mean, actually, I haven't even heard anything about the dress in probably the last 48 hours, so I'm sure we're done. You know, remember Andy Warhol's 15 Minutes of Fame quote? It was so dead on. It was so prescient about the future that uh, I think we're actually living in the future now. This is it. We're in the future now. Because poof, biggest story of the hour, and then gone. Next? What dress? What? What was everybody talking about? What dress? But the crazy thing about the dress is that it didn't disappear before even, like, that same day. There's this app, this super cute emoji avatar app that I love on my phone called Bitmoji. I know, but I love it. And I have it on my phone, and I can't get enough of it. You make your own little avatar, and then it turns it into an emoji. It, I know. But almost immediately after that whole dress thing blew up, there were two 
little avatars of me, cartoon me, holding up the two different versions of the dress, which I did not submit to. I didn't say, oh, can you make an avatar of me holding up the dress? Because I don't care about the dress. But there I was, right on my own little emoji bitmoji page, which was pretty freaky. So if you do need yet another phone-based time suck in your life, because who doesn't, make yourself into a bitmoji cartoon. Because you, you can waste hours and hours of fun on that. And it's so timely, apparently. So, but anyway, the, I think the takeaway from the whole dress debacle last week, what we can all take away from that is we all got an important little lesson in color optics, right? In the science of color and how color can fool us depending on light. And that's important stuff because, I don't know, it just is. Because it's science and science still matters, I actually have a degree in photography, and we had to study things like color optics and densitometry, and I, I don't remember any of it. So it was nice to be, have a little refresher course thanks to fashion. And it was sort of all about how our eyes can trick us, too, and our eyes can certainly trick us in many, many ways. But now, I mean, we can, we, we can move on, right? I mean, I, like I said, I really thought the dress was gold and white, okay, for the record. And in my opinion, I thought it was prettier in gold and white. But it was not my kind of dress anyway. I would never wear that. And I'm not a big fan of navy blue because who wants to wear the color of, like, police uniforms? Why would anyone wear navy? It's waspy and... I don't, anyway, let's move on to something more important. Speaking of color. Because color seemed to be a really big news topic last week, which is the only reason why I bring up the dress because it was a whole story about color. I'm not talking about race color, and I'm definitely done talking about dresses. I'm talking about color, not just the is it gold or is it blue kind of scientific color theory discussions that all the wise entertainment anchors were espousing last week. But big, big news, big announcements about color from the world of industrial food and foodiness. One of the biggest players in that world, Nestle, Nestle, made a big announcement about color last week. They announced that they would be removing all artificial colors and artificial flavors from their existing line of candy bars by next year, by the end of 2015, and that all their new candy products going forward would be free of artificial flavors and colors. That's big news. That's bigger than some stupid dress that nobody can agree on. Okay, This is something, like in the world of food. It's something. I don't know if it's something, but it's definitely something. Now, here's the exact text from the press release, the exact quote. Are you ready? Nestle is the world's leading nutrition, health, and wellness company, and our commitment to remove artificial flavors and certified colors in our chocolate candy brands is an important milestone, said Doreen Ida, president, Nestle USA Confections and Snacks. We know that candy consumers are interested in broader food trends around fewer artificial ingredients. As we thought about what this means for our candy brands, our first step has been to remove artificial flavors and colors without affecting taste or increasing the price. We're excited to be the first major U.S. candy manufacturer to make this commitment. Huh. It sounds very admirable to me. Respect, respectable. I applaud you. Here, I'm going to clap. I applaud you, Nestle, for that. Good on you. Maybe this move will make up for all that baby formula. That you dumped on those developing countries in the 70s and 80s? Anybody remember that? You got to be pretty old. All these third world developing countries. 
you dumped a whole load of baby formula on there with a whole bunch of so-called medical authority people telling the women in those countries that they should use the formula instead of nursing when they were countries that didn't have any reliably clean source of water to mix the formula with. And so they were mixing it with contaminated, tainted water. And so thousands and thousands of infants died because of waterborne illness because you told their moms to give them formula instead of breast milk. But that's all in the past, right? I mean, who are we to hold a grudge if it means that now our Nestle Crunch bars are made with real vanilla instead of vanillin, and our Butterfinger bars have natural yellow dye in them from a natto seed from some of those same third world countries, I might say, instead of red number 40 and yellow number five. I mean, what's more important in the global economy, in the bigger picture, a healthy baby Ruth or a dead one? Oh, yikes, dead babies. Too much? Well, sorry, that's what I'm here for. I had to go there. Okay, no, 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 no. Enough with the dead babies. I'm sorry. That whole baby formula thing. I know it was in the past. I know Nestle's trying to do the right thing now and make up for it. I'm sorry, Nestle. That was harsh. Yes, it's a good step forward, what you're taking, I suppose. Not that candy as a food category, actually serves any purpose or nutritional good, right? It's superfluous candy. It's like saying we're going to take the artificial dye out of T-shirts. Well, okay, so use natural dye. In your, well, even not that. I don't know. What's a good? Well, I don't know. But I mean, like, it's candy. It's not food. It doesn't serve any nutritional purpose. You can't live on it. I mean... You know, can I like candy and all, don't get me wrong, you know, especially the day after a major holiday when I can buy it for half price. But if all of it disappeared tomorrow, if poof, suddenly there was no candy in the world to buy, who would suffer? Yeah, the cacao farmers and the sugar plantations owners, but we'd find other use for the cacao and the sugar, you know, it would be okay. Or they could all grow like chickpeas instead or something like the tobacco farmers are now doing. They're growing chickpeas because people are eating so much freaking hummus. Yeah, so that's good, right? So the cacao farmers and the sugar plantations, yeah, yeah, they would suffer. But nobody would starve from lack of candy. Like if candy disappeared as a category of edible substance in the world, nobody would starve because that's all they live on. I mean, quite the opposite. Maybe people would actually eat more real food instead. I mean, there are over, quite overfed Westerners who are actually malnourished right now, who suffer from malnutrition just because they eat too much candy and other junky crap from big food manufacturers and not enough real food. So they'd be much better off in a way if that category just overnight, poof, disappeared, you know, like the dress from the internet. It's just a thought. But nonetheless, as I keep coming back to you, it's a good step, Nestle. Way to go. I don't want you to sue me. You know, maybe one day I'm going to be hired like for a commercial for something you make and I'm going to have a huge ethical conundrum and dilemma to deal with until I see the size of the check you're writing me. And, you know, I still want to be considered for those jobs. So, so it's okay. It's okay. But let's just wait a second here. Let's just back up. Let's just back up. I, I just want, you know, I can't, I can't leave it alone. You know, it's like, it's like the mosquito bite that you scratch and then it bleeds and then you get the little scab, but then you keep scratching it because it kind of feels good. I just can't leave it alone, you know, or like that sore that you just have to keep picking. I can't leave it alone. I just want to revisit something from their press release, from the quote. 
just something in the first line that just caught my eye. The first line that says, Nestle is the world's leading nutrition, health, and wellness company. Wait a second. What? What? The world's leading nutrition, health, and wellness company? Really? I mean, what does that even mean? I mean, I would have thought that that title, the world's leading nutrition, health, and wellness company, would have belonged to, let's say, the International Broccoli Rob and Black Bean Works Company, or the Acme Mackerel and Fermented Radish Manufacturing Limited Company, something like that, or even effing Quaker Oats, for God's sakes. Wow. I mean, talk about hyperbole. Talk about self-congratulations. Nutrition, health, and wellness. Nestle, what, what is wellness anyway, really? Wellness is like a whole category of like stuff and marketing. Wellness. Does anything define wellness? Wellness as opposed to illness? Wellness. Any company that tells you they manufacture wellness, run fast in the opposite direction. Because can you actually think of a Nestle product that falls into what I, and therefore you as my devoted listener, would consider nutrition, health, or wellness promoting or enhancing products? Can you? Does Nestle make like, I don't know, carrots, onions, garlic, chickpeas, spinach, lamb, squid, quinoa, rabbit, oatmeal, lentils, butter, maybe butter they do, whole organic milk, walnuts, kale, Swiss chocolate. Well, they are Swiss. So, okay, Swiss chard. Maybe they make Swiss chard. Kidney beans, tomatoes, basil, olive oil, wine, fish sauce, soy sauce, or kimchi, or just to name a few of the thousands of key players in what I would consider nutrition, health, and wellness products. Any of the above. Nutrition, health, and wellness products. Do any of the above named foods have or need artificial colors or flavors? Do they need red dye? Number five, yellow 40, vanillin... Or have they ever had those things removed from them to great fanfare? I mean, does anybody remember that year in 1978 when they finally took artificial white coloring out of squid? I don't remember that. When they finally put natural black coloring in black beans? I don't remember that either. And I remember a lot from the 70s because I was so scarred by them. Um, But no, because they're real food. They're not fake food. They're not foodiness. They're real food. So you don't need to take anything out because there's nothing in there that's unnecessary to begin with, right? We've been over this so many times. And then there's this one other quote, this one quote from the big announcement that also just kind of stuck in my proverbial craw. I didn't even know I had a craw, but it's got that stuck in it. Other than calling themselves the leading health, wellness, and nutrition, whatever, This other one, quote, we know that candy consumers are interested in broader food trends around fewer artificial ingredients. They know that candy consumers, candy consumers are interested in broader trends around fewer artificial ingredients. Fewer artificial ingredients is a broad trend, according to Nestle. Sure they are. Of course candy consumers are interested in broader trends around fewer artificial ingredients. I mean, who isn't? Aren't we all? I mean, walk down any candy aisle at Walmart. And who do you see piling the two-pound bags of candy into their carts on top of the family-sized stacks of Pringles and the diet soda and the blue-flavored sports drinks? Those candy consumers are interested in the broader trends. Or maybe just in the broader aisles. Ouch. Zing. 
Oh, and before I leave Nestle alone, not that I have anything against them, but may I just mention that Nestle is also the company that owns and manufactures Coffee Mate. Yes, Coffee Mate, the artificially flavored, artificially colored synthetic dairy product powder for synthetically lightening coffee. Coffee, a simple one ingredient ancient food that's actually quite good for you and employs a lot of people around the world in agriculture. Coffee. If you've been listening to Let's Get Real for long enough, you know how I feel about coffee creamer products. If you don't or you don't remember, go back and listen to episode 66 called If You're Drinking Girl Scout Cookie Flavored Coffee, It's Time for Some Serious Self-Examination. It's a damn good cup of listening, I must say. Even better with a slice of pie. Maybe a slice of cherry pie. Hmm. But only with real cherries. Hmm. Reminds me of another episode I did. Hmm. Let me think about that. We'll be right back. We're going to take a break. Today's break song is called It's Cold and Beautiful by Magical Mistakes. Welcome back to Let's Get Real, a cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network <clears throat> with me, Erica Weitz. Broadcasting live from down here in the foodiness fallout shelter for the last three years where it is cold and beautiful. No, it's not cold down here. We have good climate control. It's good. Down here with the wild boar head on the wall, my old pal. So we're talking about color today down here in the shelter here on Let's Get Real, but not race. Don't get all excited. Don't get all the commenters firing up. Not race. We're talking about color as in color in food. As in real food has real naturally occurring color. I mean, back when we were just, you know, hunter-gatherers crawling around in the muck, that was what we looked for. We looked for brightness and ripeness, you know? That's why we like red so much. It signifies ripeness. But we're talking about, like, how naturally occurring color naturally occurs in food, but we need, we feel the need, we, not us, but them, feel the need to pump up the color of everything, to elevate it, or, or even just to dye it another color altogether, just to make it marketable color. Remember those red pistachios? When I was growing up, the only pistachios you could get were dyed red which was really weird. I never knew why. We used to call them red nuts, my sister and I. We loved them because you'd eat them and they'd stain your fingertips red and they were delicious. And then the undyed ones came along and we swore we could taste the difference. We never wanted to eat the green pistachios. We wanted the red pistachios. I found out that the reason that they were dyed was to hide flaws 
on the shell and also to distinguish them from other nuts because people weren't familiar with pistachios. So someone decided they would dye them red to make them stand out, which is such a messed up concept because pistachios are so good. And actually, you know what? Last week was National Pistachio Day or Global Pistachio Day. So I celebrated. I ate some. Um, So anyway, Nestle made their big announcement last week, which we discussed in the first segment about color. That they were they will use no more artificial colors or flavors, but that's another episode that I've done more than a few times already. We have flogged that horse in their candy bar line. And if you're not familiar with them, it's like Nestle Crunch and Butterfinger and Baby Ruth and the $100,000 bar, all those classic Nestle candies now will not have artificial color or flavors going forward. And any new candy bars that they develop will not either. And that's great. It's great. But you know what? Why even add color in the first place? If that Butterfinger bar, and I mean, first of all, who eats Butterfingers? I've ne- I, who eats those other than Bart Simpson? And I hope we can all agree that Bart Simpson is not real, right? I mean, he's not like, you know, Bart and Ernie. They're real. Bart Simpson's not real. If the Butterfinger bar, when you bit into it, was just slightly more, let's say, naturally brown or beige and not yellowish, would it taste any different? to you would you know well you know what to many consumers yes because if you give a test group of consumers a food product that they associate with a certain color but you change the color and they'll they will without a doubt inevitably say it tastes different oh yes many times this has been tested at like my myself with the red pistachios when i was an american cheese eating chubby child and yes we ate american cheese in my house I swore that the yellow American cheese slices tasted way better than the white. The white tasted weird to me. The yellow tasted good. And I would insist on only yellow, although nobody really paid any attention to my insistence or my pleadings. Because we ate what was ever, you know, whatever was on sale that week at King Cullen, the Long Island supermarket. Right, Jack? King Cullen. woo Yeah, Long Island. And then my parents started reading about food dyes and artificial flavors and processed food. And then they had, you know, their enlightenment. And then it was sayonara, American cheese, and hello, cheddar. You see where I got it all from? And, of course, cheddar, you know, which I love and is delicious. But if you try to melt it on a grilled cheese, it's not the same because it's not emulsified and it separates. But by then I was old enough. It was okay. But I would vow and swear up and down that the yellow slices tasted better than the white. Because we humans are dumb. We are such dumb, gullible creatures. And we swear that if you fed us unred-dyed cherry-flavored Kool-Aid, it would taste less cherry-y than a bright red-dyed cherry-flavored Kool-Aid. Because that's called, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid. But what if the product that you're presented with was never dyed in the first place or never colored in the first place? Then everybody's expectations would have been set at that level and it wouldn't be an issue. And then we wouldn't be having this discussion in the first place. And I'd be sitting here talking about some new ramen place or some new chef or something like that, which everybody else on this network talks about and not talking about food and foodiness, which I talk about, which is not what I'm here for. I'm here to talk about food v. foodiness. Remember? If the products were never dyed to start out with, would we have begun eating them? What if food coloring had just never been invented? What if we just ate everything the way it was grown? What if the food manufacturing industry existed, but the coloring industry didn't, and everything was just kind of beige? We'd probably all be a lot thinner, that's for sure. 
But people have been naturally coloring their food forever, forever, since they discovered things like saffron and turmeric and annatto seeds and beet juice and berries. We like color. We like our food to look vibrant. We like it to look exciting, just, you know, and that's okay. We can add all sorts of natural dyes and colorings to our food to enhance it and make it look really good. But does it, does anything actually have to be blue? Do we need blue sports drinks? Do we need blue yogurt? Do we need blue cereal? Allah Shalom, George Carlin, rest in peace. Most profound line about food ever spoken. There is no truly blue naturally occurring food. Remember that, George Carlin? There is no blue food. George Carlin had it right. There is no naturally occurring blue food. People say blueberries. He'd say, no, no, blue on the vine, purple on the plate. So why has blue become a color? Why has blue become a flavor? Why would you want to eat anything that looked like Windex? That's what I always say. Why are there blue raspberry flavored drinks and slushies and popsicles? Why? Why is there blue cake mix? Why is there blue icing? We're not supposed to eat blue. Humans don't eat blue. No blue for us. Real food, as I said, is full of beautiful, vibrant colors. You want blue? Mm, You'll get close with certain things. But have you seen the blood oranges this winter? It's blood orange season. Jack's nodding like mad over there. It's blood orange season, January and February. The blood oranges this year are insane. They're like electric magenta, almost black, some of them, inside. What's more striking than that? I'm getting all fired up. They look more dyed inside than the filling in a stack of IHOP blue velvet Fruity Toots pancakes. That's for sure. They're incredible looking. Or how about in the summer, a giant pile of heirloom tomatoes in the sun or the million different shades of orange in October squash harvest or the crusty deep brown of a good loaf of bread. Brown is a color too, you know. How about just a bowl of frozen mixed berries? There's some crazy psychedelic color for you. So why... Pink monster berry cereal. Why blue flavored and color drinks? Why purple and green swirled kids with a Z yogurt? Why? How did we? Where? How did we get this far? How did we fall down this colored rabbit hole? How did this happen? Did Laura Ingalls, my favorite example for everything, throw a fit every morning because her cornmeal mush wasn't dyed brighter yellow than the naturally occurring corn color? Did she pitch a fit and refuse to eat it because it wasn't bright yellow enough? And because maybe the syrup she was pouring on it, which was probably sorghum or molasses or maple syrup, didn't taste buttery enough to her? And did Ma Ingalls soothingly say, it's okay, Laura, you don't have to eat the cornmeal mush. I'll just shake up some instant breakfast powder with chocolate flavored soy milk and I'll put it in a sippy cup for you. And you can take it to school. And since you're 16, I know you'll remember to bring the sippy cup home from school because you're a big, mature woman now. No, she didn't. So why do we? Why do we pander that way? Because we let Foodiness Inc. and its marketing masterminds tell us to. They say, eat this stuff. They say, this is all your kids are going to eat because we've been brainwashed and maybe even poisoned by their Pantone-colored world of bright pinks and greens and yellows and oranges and blues. Because real is not enough for us, apparently. It's enough for me. 
I don't eat that stuff. I was actually looking through the entire list of Nestle-owned brands and products to see if there was anything on there that I buy that I could say like, oh, yeah, that's good. But there's nothing on there that I buy ever because I don't actually consider anything they make food. Okay, occasionally the bag of Nestle's chocolate chips for making cookies. But you know what? Usually I buy a better brand of chocolate because I don't really like milk chocolate. That's too sweet. That's semi-sweet. Ugh. I like bitter chocolate. You know, bitter like me. Now, how have humans continued to exist? How have we existed? This is what I don't understand. A couple things I don't understand about human evolution. One is why do some of us, like me, still need glasses? Because if our ancestors had bad eyes, wouldn't they have gotten eaten by wild beasts or fallen off cliffs? Wouldn't those genes have been eliminated by evolution? Just say it. The other thing is how have humans continued to exist for the last million or so years? If what everybody claims is true which is that their kids won't eat anything other than nuggets and mac and cheese with a Z and blue yogurt in a tube, right? Now, if that were the case, if those kids wouldn't eat anything but that, then wouldn't we have begun to die off as a species starting around 50 years ago when all that kid foodiness started to appear, like the parents of the kids who won't feed their kids stuff? No, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Something like that. We would have died off. Wouldn't there have been a massive die-off other than the Nestle baby formula debacle. Has all those kids simply starved to death because they just couldn't eat anything else? Hmm. Maybe they survived on sheer will and Flintstones gummy vitamins. I don't know. Humans are very resilient, and we've survived long, long stretches of periodic famine in the past. It's really what we're designed for. Not never-ending times of plenty, but a cycle of boom and bust, abundancy and scarcity. Bumper crops of barley and plenty of fish and venison in the summer and long winters of potatoes and dried up turkey. You know what we're not designed for? Blue cereal with dinosaur-shaped marshmallows and pink squeezy drinks in a pouch. That's not what we're designed for. Now, I would like to end today's show with cautionary tale. I like a good cautionary tale and about how wrong things can go when you place your faith in artificial colors. Now, You may remember a few years ago when a news story broke here in Brooklyn about local beekeepers reporting that their bees had been returning to their hives and depositing bright red nectar into the hive cells and creating red honey. Remember this? This caused great alarm, accordingly, because honey shouldn't be bright red. And an investigation ensued. It turned out that the toxic red honey was actually red dye syrup, from the Maraschino Cherry Factory down in Red Hook, Brooklyn. Now, Red Hook is a former industrial zone on the waterfront here in Brooklyn that is now gradually becoming a luxury condo zone. But there are still industrial businesses there, some not so legit, it turns out, because it turns out that that Maraschino Cherry Factory had a torn screen over a window, and the local honeybees were slurping up that sweet red syrup instead of spending their precious energy foraging local plants and trees. Because who could blame them, right? Instead of flying around all day for little bits of pollen, you could just suck up a whole gallon of that syrup. So the source of the red honey was found. The hive frames that had been stained indelibly red by the toxic syrup replaced, the screen fixed, and all was quiet on the waterfront, so to speak. I mentioned this a while ago in an episode I did about honey. We've heard this story before. But then, to make things better, a few weeks ago, the DEP decides to visit the cherry factory to investigate reports of illegal dumping of cherry-flavored and colored effluent directly into the harbor. Turns out that the not-so-up-and-up owner of the Maraschino Cherry Factory was dumping the effluent 
from the cherry production right into New York Harbor. Now, while bees may enjoy maraschino cherries in their Manhattans <laughs> and Brooklyns, the fish and other sea creatures are more of the onion or olive type in their cocktails. They like the pickled stuff. And dumping anything in the river is illegal. Of course, you don't do it. So the DEP arrives to investigate, and they notice during their investigation kind of an unstable loose shelf on a wall and a wall that seems somewhat temporary and a little shaky and not so real. And then they notice the slightest smell of weed in the air, of, of plants growing. Well, I'm sure by now you've heard what happened next. I know you all know this story, right? That the owner of the factory, upon realizing that his massive hidden grow operation is about to get busted, excuses himself momentarily, goes into the bathroom, and blows his brains out with a revolver. Because it turned out he had a gigantic hidden grow operation behind the Maraschino Cherry Factory, along with almost a million dollars in cash and several luxury cars hidden behind that innocent cherry-flavored and colored facade. So now he's dead, and thousands of New York City pot smokers are out of a source, and who knows where our Maraschino Cherries will ever come from again, because who else makes Maraschino Cherries in New York? So what's the cautionary tale? What is the cautionary message behind all of this? Well, I think being around all that red dye drove him crazy and literally colored his judgment. And if he'd only eaten natural cherries in natural colorings, he'd have probably been able to build a better wall to hide his grow up behind and thus not gone down with his ship like a late season episode of Weeds with Bad Writing. So there you go. That's the cautionary tale. Avoid artificial colors at all costs, or you too will wind up dead in a bathroom with a revolver in your hand. So, if you don't want to eat red-dyed shit or cherry-flavored shit or blue-colored shit or any other kind of shit, remember, you need to keep listening to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food here on Heritage Radio Network with me, Erica Wides, because I bring you the real hard news. I don't talk about the new ramen joints. I talk about the real stuff. So keep tuning in. Thanks to Jack Inslee in the control room, as always. Ben Kaplan for writing my theme music. Remember to check out my column on Huffington Post. Visit my website, letsgetrealshow.com, and listen to any of the millions and millions of archived Heritage Radio Network shows on iTunes, Stitcher, and, of course, on heritageradionetwork.org. Oh, yeah, we're member-supported, so uh, cough up, okay? Join. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.